welcome to Get Over It, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for Exceptional 21st Century Living. We've got an interesting show today on stones. We're going to be speaking with Robert Simmons, and his book is The Alchemy of Stones, co-creating with crystals, minerals, and gemstones for healing and transformation. Uh, this is a great book. It goes much deeper into stones and your energy and what can, they can do for you than a lot of the books on the market. And if you guys remember Melanie's, uh, Melody's uh, book on crystals in that um, volume that is, you know, truly the stone person's go-to, this book will be on your shelf. Robert does a great job in explaining everything. Plus, he provides full color pictures of all the stones that you could possibly use. So um, sit back, relax, enjoy our conversation with Robert, and then um, go out and pick some of your favorite stones. Robert, it's so great to have you here today, and I'm really enjoying um, your book. Um, folks, if you are um, interested in any of the stones that Robert talks about, or if you're interested in any stone, check out his website, and that is heavenandearthjewelry.com, H-E-A-V-E-N-A-N-D-E-A-R-T-H-J-E-W-E-L-E-R-Y.com, and you will find just about every stone imaginable, and he's an easy person to work with, and he can definitely get them to you. So Robert, um, absolutely love your book, The Alchemy of Stones, co-creating with crystals, minerals, gemstones for healing and transformation. Early on in the book, you talk about um, a being, and her name is Sophia. Tell us about Sophia. Um, you know, she's a dark angel, and she's standing on a black sun. That's generally how she's uh, depicted. Tell us more about Sophia and her connection to stones and why that's so important. Okay, yeah, I'd love to. It's very central to my work. You know, you notice in the title, I say co-creating with crystals, minerals, and gems. And um, in alchemy, in ancient alchemy, spiritual alchemy, um, the, the, the whole um, first priority of the people who practiced it was to work co-creatively with the soul of the world. And, this, and the name Sophia is the name that they gave to the soul of the world. It means mm -hmm. wisdom in ancient Greek, Sophia does. So the mm -hmm. idea was that the nature of the soul of the world is wisdom. And the alchemists believed if they worked with this being of pure wisdom, that their own transformation and also her transformation into full awakening in matter, which was part of their goal, would happen. Uh, and that was their great aspiration to actually co-create with the world soul for the benefit of the world and of themselves. Oh, wow. So how does Sophia interact with us today if we're interested in stones? A lot of people either have a passion for stones or they forget about them altogether. Right. And that's one of the reasons I wrote this book. You know, there are lots of books on alchemy and some of them are very good. And there are lots of books on stones that are good as well, including mine, I hope. Yours um, is very good. <laughs> and but the thing I wanted to do is to show people that what we've been doing with crystals all along without even realizing it is alchemy, because we all want to use our stones or to work with our stones for healing, for spiritual awakening, for activating our light bodies, things like that. And mm -hmm. all of these are part of what alchemy was about. Um, you know, the alchemists were seeking 
the transformation of matter into a fully spiritualized substance. And that was what they called the philosopher's stone. Now, just a, a little note about Sophia and the philosopher's stone, mm -hmm. um, which was the goal of that alchemical work. Um, the philosopher, the name, the word philosopher comes from two words in Greek. One of them I mentioned is Sophia, meaning wisdom, and the other is philo, meaning to love. So uh, a philosopher was a lover of wisdom or a lover of Sophia. Mm -hmm. And the stone of the philosophers was the stone of the ones who are lovers of Sophia. So uh -huh. all of us people who work with crystals are actually philosophers in that sense, in that we are lovers of the soul of the earth. And, you know, I mean, a lot of us would know that consciously, but even those of us who just think we love crystals and haven't really thought about the earth, mm -hmm. what, we're doing, what we're doing through loving stones is loving the earth. And, you know, the earth, I believe, is conscious. And I also think that the stones can be viewed best as beings that have consciousness as well. Mm -hmm. When we work with them in meditation, we work with them as if we're in uh, kind of an inner conversation or some sort of interaction with this other being. And that energy that we feel from a stone, in my view, is the communication of the stone, giving us the feeling of its nature and, uh, and inviting us to incorporate that energy into our own energy field. And that's what leads us to this awakening, healing and transformation. Okay. Well, let me ask uh, like a dumb question here. Is there a difference between gemstone energy and just the stone that we find on the street, like a, a river, rocks, or something like that? Is there, I mean, I understand they may um, vibrate, at, vibrate at different frequencies, but are all stones imbued with a certain energy, whether we consider it precious or not? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And, and people have asked me that before. And in my view, um, the second thing is more correct, you know, that, that all stones and all physical matter has energetic qualities, mm -hmm. uh, all have energetic qualities. So, you know, there are stones with which we resonate and stones which people have valued over many centuries that are called gemstones or mm -hmm. precious stones. Um, and of course, when we see a crystal, the beauty and the sort of surprisingly geometric and, and symmetrical structure of it makes us take notice of it because it looks a lot more, you know, outstanding than a, than a rock you see on, in a riverbed. Uh -huh. But in fact, you know, both kinds of stones, riverbed rocks uh, and crystals have their own energy. Um, and my way of looking at it, or my way of trying to express that is to say, imagine that it's music. Imagine that all the vibes from all the stones are notes of music. And that the Sophia, the world soul, is singing or playing that music into existence constantly. And the, what we're picking up when we feel the vibes from a river stone or a crystal is a note or a, or a chord of notes of Sophia's music. And that music, just like the music we listen to, goes into us and it makes things happen. It makes changes in our consciousness. Uh -huh. And many of them are very pleasurable. And many of them are very healing to us. So if we don't feel energy from a stone, whether it's a river stone or a crystal, I would say it's just that we can't hear it. 
but mm. then, you know, if our, if our ears were perfect, if our inner ears were perfect, we would hear and feel the energy of everything in the world. You know, and, and, yeah, go on. I was going to say that might be a bit overwhelming for some of us, <laughs> but well, you know, it, of course, I mean, that's uh, scientists have been saying for a long time that the biggest part of the work that our brains do is screening things out that mm. it that it thinks we don't need to be aware of. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems with the way our brains work and the way our culture has sort of put us into this where we are now is that mostly our brains are looking out for problems. And, you know, they're not necessarily tuning to the ecstatic music of the soul of the world. Mm -hmm. um, but ecstasy, when it comes to us, is an overwhelming experience. Yes, it and is. So, <laughs> and, and in my view, that's, you know, that's what we, in a way, are seeking. We're find, trying to find a way to be as fully aware as our potential allows us to be and to experience the ecstasy of that and still manage to conduct life, you know, in our incarnated uh, selves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's what the mystics do, right? The mystics are tuned to that, you might say, the full symphony of the earth's ecstasy. Um, and if we were able to tune into all the crystals and stones at once, we would probably be in that state also. But we don't have to live in that state all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't really know what it would be like to be in that state. We might find out that we'd be in another level of consciousness and it wouldn't be overwhelming because we'd be completely in harmony with the unfolding of life, you know, in each moment. Mm -hmm. mystic's goal well you know it's interesting um robert you know i've got many stones um in my house on me and and all around and i find that if i take a day where i take off what i call my babies i have five stones i wear all the time no matter what sleeping on the whole nine yards sleep shower the whole nine yards if i take them off like if i have to go for a medical procedure or something i feel a difference in my energy it's like my energy just dropped down to the floor mm -hmm. and and to me it's amazing how this stones and i mean you know you think nothing you, you get it you you put it on and you know you will you do a few things to to it before you put it on but you know you have it and then all of a sudden you're wearing them and you feel great i mean it has truly kept me from depths of depression. It, it's truly amazing. But, you know, Robert, you said something a little bit ago. You said that the stones speak to us. In your book, you talk about all stones sing two songs. Tell us more about that. Right. Um, that goes still with that analogy I'm making about uh, the stone energies being a kind of music. You know, mm -hmm. it's not auditory, but it's a kind of music that we feel in our, in our, you might say, in our energy bodies or, you know, um, in, in our inner selves. Um, so when I say stone, each stone sings two songs. The first thing that goes with that is I view the stones, each type of stone, let's say, like an amethyst or a moldavite as a being in its own right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the musical analogy, you could say each stone sings uh, you know a couple of different notes or a couple of different chords and what i mean by that is every amethyst sings the amethyst song mm -hmm. like you can hold an amethyst and the vibes of amethyst are characteristic 
of the way amethyst is. Um, and then you also, most people who are into stones know that they'll walk through a shop or somewhere and it'll be a particular amethyst or a particular moldavite that talks to them, that calls out to them. So that's the individual identity of that piece of amethyst or that piece of moldavite. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, you know, that's the other song it sings. It's like, um, and, and I, I'm, it's easy to see this if you think about human beings. Um, every human being, quote unquote, sings the human song. We're all recognizably the same in a way because we're all human beings. We all have that vibe. And yet every human being is an individual and has their own special qualities. So mm -hmm. that's the second song that a human being sings. And in a way, what I'm doing is I'm saying stones are just like us in that way. Yes. Okay. Um, stones, I have found they can be protecting. They can um, attract certain things to you, um, even repel certain things away from you. So when you are picking out a stone and say you, you, you go into a stone store and you find one and you don't know what it is, you look at it and it's looking at you and you're talking to each other telepathically. Is it important to know what the stones, um, I guess, identity or meaning behind the identity is? Or can you program your stones to do anything that is for the highest good of yourself? Well, you know, I have to say um, all of the above. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and by that, I mean this. Um, I don't think it's necessary to know what the stone energy is before you go in and look at stones and see which one you're attracted to. Um, it can be something, you, you know, as we go further into our interest in stone, we do do that. But um, you can also just be around them and something will call out to you. And oftentimes when that happens, when you feel attracted to something that you don't already know about, um, that's your own intuitive self connecting with the stone being in a way that your conscious self doesn't know about. Mm -hmm. And that can be the time when you really make an, an important beneficial connection because our thinking is not putting its own opinions in the way. We're just feeling it and going that way. So I, I like that. I recommend it. I've certainly tested it over the years. You know, in, in, when I set up at a show or um, in one of my workshops, we have displays of stones and very often people will be attracted to something and I'll say, well, what do you feel from that? And they'll describe their experience uh, of what they feel from the stone that they were attracted to. And then mm -hmm. I'll open up my book to that page and they'll read it and they'll go, well, that's just oh. what I was. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that happens a lot, which is very validating to me, of course, for what I'm tuning into. And also it's, uh, it's confirming to people who are learning to use their own intuition in regards to stones. And I really feel like what I want to encourage people to do is that get into connection with the stones as beings and start co-creating your own reality and, and even help them create the reality that they're aspiring to. Because I feel like it's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. So is that what you mean by, I, I know I'm going to say this wrong, but panpsychism? Yeah, I, I put that early in the book because mm -hmm. I wanted the alchemy of stones to 
have a whole new worldview that people could try on for size and see if they like it. And mm -hmm. then again, it's, it's already what we've been doing when we work with stones, only we haven't had a, a whole worldview understanding about it. We've just been going that way. But uh, panpsychism is a, is a philosophical word that basically means everything has consciousness. Pan is everywhere, psyche means soul. So that word means that soul is everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe that, you know, I believe that our dogs and our cats have soul and that the grass in our lawn has soul and that the rocks under the ground have soul and the stars and the earth herself. All of those things have, um, they're self-organized. That's one of the ways that philosophers talk about it. Self-organized simply means that they are a whole unto themselves. So our own body is a self-organized system. A crystal is a self-organized system. A tree is also, and so is the earth. So the idea there is that something that has the capacity to organize itself also has a kind of consciousness. And that's that idea of soul being everywhere. And this is something that is not only a new idea, it's been around for many, many centuries. Um, indigenous peoples all over the world uh, have believed something that uh, anthropologists called animism. And animism mm -hmm. means the same thing. Anima, anima means soul. So it's soulism. It's what animism means. And, it, and they all believe that the objects and other creatures around them had their own consciousness. And it's really important to view the world that way for our own uh, well-being. Because if we think that human beings are the only thing that's conscious, <laughs> then we're, that alienates us from everything else. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's what makes the corporations and the people in them who are not thinking the way I'm talking about feel like the earth can be plundered and it's no problem because it's just a bunch of dead stuff with no soul. And, you know, if, if, if people believe that we have soul, but nothing else does, or if they believe like some materialists that nothing has a soul, mm -hmm. um, it's very discouraging to our inner being. And I think that discouragement is because we have disconnected from the truth. So panpsychism is a way of viewing reality in which we embrace everything as a kind of uh, brother or sister being. And we then feel ourselves in this giant family of beings that's everywhere with us. And that's all in a sense, working together in harmony, or at least it can if we're willing. Okay. Folks, we're speaking with Robert Simmons. The book is The Alchemy of Stones, Co-Creating with Crystals, Minerals, Gemstones for Healing and Transformation. And you can check out his website, and that is heavenandearthjewelry.com. Again, heavenandearthjewelry.com. Uh, Robert, you know, reading your book and listening to you, it sounds a lot like you can utilize uh, these precious stones to help with light body activation. So for those few people who are listening to the show who don't know what light body is, please explain that and explain how stones can possibly help with our light body activation. Certainly, yes. I mean, and we've laid the groundwork for that in a way. You know, the, the light body is the body of our soul, you might call it. And the idea of it being a body of light is or is is a way of pointing to its high potential 
Um, the, you know, you can say when a person is really full of enthusiasm or full of spiritual energy, they are more radiant. You uh -huh. can see it on them. You can see it in their aura if you can see auras. So that is the soul body becoming more fully activated and it causes this experience in the people who perceive that as light. Um, and it also is an inner experience of light. So I believe we always have a soul body and our light body is not something separate from that, but the fully activated light body is what we're, what our high potential is. Um, and it's why they always show spiritual beings with light around them and so forth. Mm -hmm. the, stone being, the stone beings are tuned in to the greatest light body of all, which is the soul of the world. Um, the Earth's light body is what the stone beings get their energy from. And so, you know, it's like saying in a way, um, you know, a musical instrument gets its energy from the person who's playing it. And that note comes out that way. Mm -hmm. But it's a little more than that because the stone beings are also beings. Um, so they have their own contribution they make. And that's the cool thing about the way the universe is, is there's beings on every level from the deepest and largest, tiniest, you know, atom. They all have the, a self-sense and yet it's all connected through the net to the soul of the universe. Now, mm -hmm. I'm talking big terms, but what it means is, is that when you tune into, you know, a stone that you like, you know, a malachite and you feel healing energy from that you know that's a beneficial vibration going into your light body which then because it's like uh kind of gotten kind of like taking a vitamin in one way uh -huh. and it feeds something in your energy body which makes it healthier and you know the more and more and more that you do that the more radiant you become so that's the light body activation and the stones will help in that in myriad different ways depending on which stones you use okay now in the book you talk about in fact it's on the cover there are four stones that are on your cover that you consider to be cornerstone stones what are they and why um the four cornerstones of spiritual alchemy as i view it the alchemy stones are um moldavite phenakite azestulite and rosophia and I'll just say a little bit about each one and, and okay. that'll say why. Um, Moldavite's the first stone that I really encountered that changed my whole way of being. A lot of people have this awareness that Moldavite has quite a lot of power to instigate transformation. And in my case, uh, my wife could feel crystal energies and she encouraged me to meditate with my Moldavite. Uh -huh. um, I didn't feel anything and I didn't actually even believe in crystal energies. I just thought I was married to this person who's a little crazy, but <laughs> I was wonderful. I'll love her anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it turned out she was right. And then after six months of meditating daily with the Moldavite, one day it took me on an out-of-body journey um, to the great central sun of all things. And I was mm. like completely astonished by that. And at the, in the presence of the great central sun, as I was sort of on this out-of-body place, back in the room, this Moldavite in my hand tingled and energy went up my arm straight to my heart. My heart opened like a big chrysanthemum. And then the light from that went up and down my whole chakra system and lit everything up. 
that was a big time light body activation. And mm -hmm. when I eventually went into our shop, because we already had a crystal shop, when I went into the crystal shop that day, I went from having felt no stone energy to feeling every single stone. Oh, wow. So it was a big shift in one day. Of course, I meditated for six months before it happened. But what that meant is my worldview completely changed. You know, I was transformed by that. And one of my capacities, this capacity to feel the energies of stones had been turned on. So that ability to shift your evolutionary path and move it forward in a hurry is Moldavite's core quality in my view. And that's why it's one of the cornerstones of spiritual alchemy, the alchemy stones. So the second one is phenakite. And that's the second stone that came to me uh, in terms of an important stone in my life. And phenakite, somebody wrote, I think it was Jane Ann Dow in one of the early crystal books wrote, um, phenakite is very important and it should be sought out and stockpiled. And I oh. thought, boy, that's a strange statement, you know, but I listened. And uh, one year at the Tucson Gem Show, somebody came into our uh, booth and said, I've got this piece of phenakite, Robert, you should stick it on your forehead and see what you feel. And I sort of, you know, naively did that. Mm -hmm. And I immediately began to feel deep pulsations going into my third eye and turning on my third eye. Uh, and even going out the top of my head and opening up the crown. And that was in about one minute of holding that stone. Um, I, I have since become a collector of phenakite because I really, really love that energy. And its, um, its quality, its core quality is visionary experience, opening up your inner vision and allowing you to travel interdimensionally, allowing you to uh, go to the, to, the, to the dimension where the stone beings are and communicate better with them, mm -hmm. things like that. So again, like first you have the awakening that Moldavite offers, then you have the inner vision that phenakite triggers. Um, so the, those are the first two. Mm -hmm. um, the, the third one is azestulite. And, you know, we don't have time probably today to talk about its whole story, but sometime maybe we could. Azestulite is a form of quartz that has been what I call super activated or turned on by an angelic group soul entity called Azez. And the, they uh, also um, say that Azez is the name of the light of the great central sun, which is, I view, the spiritual core of the universe, the light at the center of everything. So the Azez travel as an angelic entity through planets where the people are ready to make a transition to a higher consciousness. Mm -hmm. And... This is the information they gave to my co-author, Naisha, the co-author of the Book of Stones. And she came to me with that information. And anyway, they, when, when a planet is ready for that shift, they turn on the energies of some stone that they can find on that planet so that the people there can work with it to facilitate their awakening and the awakening of the planet. On Earth, that was a particular... Uh, kind of quartz that was found in North Carolina and Vermont. And, you know, on the physical level, it's quartz. On the mm -hmm. energetic level, it's something completely of a higher octave. And the name they told us to call it is Azestulite, because they wanted that name of the great central sun in the name of the stone when we named it. 
So that's sort of the backstory of it. When people hold it, light is the inner experience they feel the most. A lot of people initially report sparks of light or they feel that light is coming down through their crown chakra into their body. And azeshtalite is the effect over time is this fuller and fuller activation of the light body. And you might say the incarnation of the light. Um, so that's its intention. And mm -hmm. it can actually move through us to, into the earth to um, bring the light into the earth. And that brings me to Rosophia. Um, Rosophia is the stone that I discovered when I was speaking at the Sophia conference, a conference dedicated to Sophia Sold World back in 2008. I came into my hotel room with my wife, Kathy, and on the mantle was this sort of salmon colored stone that I'd never seen before. And I thought, well, that's strange. What's a stone doing here? Um, but of course, I stuck it right on my heart and tried to see if I could feel it. Uh -huh. Beautiful, curving, loving, grounding energies were pouring out of that stone into my heart and all through my body right away. And because it was Sophia's conference, and I had just had a big dream about Sophia before I went there, um, and because of the way it felt, I said, this is Sophia's stone, and it's the stone of her heart. So I made the name Rose Sophia because the rose is the symbol of the heart. Uh -huh. And Sophia, of course, is that name of the soul of the world. When you work with Rose Sophia and Azestulite together, what happens is the love of the earth reaches up through us in, you know, from the feet right up into our heart. And the light of heaven reaches down into us and joins. So the Azestulite and Rose Sophia are really wonderful to work with together because that inner transformation and joining of the light of heaven and the love of the earth happens right within us. And that's part of the whole fulfillment of Sophia's purpose as well as the fulfillment of us. Uh -huh. And all of those things together that I've just taken quite a while to describe to you are at the very core of alchemical transformation of us. And it's a beautiful thing. It's like, as above, so below. I know you know that phrase. Uh -huh. When the below, when the small things, when we transform, that energy of transformation goes to the above, to the great things, to the soul of the world, and facilitates its, her transformation. Um, so we're connected. Heaven and earth are truly one and long to be one in complete fullness. And the whole purpose of our work with stones in its highest sense is to fulfill that. Okay. So I've got a weird question for you. Um, you know, people, we come to earth, you know, spirits, we come to earth to live this human existence. And we have these lessons that we agreed to learn the contracts, if you will, before we come in and we don't know how they're going to outwork themselves once we get here and sometimes you know some people do wonderful things and sometimes people do not so wonderful things so do stones have an energy where some of them are placed here not to do such wonderful things um i don't really think so i have never okay. actually had a bad experience with a stone where i felt like oh this is toxic energy Mm -hmm. Um, there's, I've had, there was one exception in my life where somebody brought me a stone and wanted me to tune into it. And the person themselves was really, really out of balance. 
And apparently they'd had it for quite a while. And I picked up that energy through the stone. Uh-huh. So cleansing stones before you work with them is important because it wasn't the stone's fault. It wasn't the stone's energy, but it, you know the imbalance that the stone had picked up from the person came through. Uh-huh. So there's just that one uh, you know, qualification I'd make to saying that all the stone's energies are, are beneficial. Um, the one other slight one I would make is um, radioactive stones I don't work with because you know, the human body's not made to tolerate radioactivity. Um, so whether they're good or not good, I just think we should stay away from that in terms of what we put on our bodies. Okay, so what's a radioactive stone? Oh, uranium is probably the best known one. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, radium is another one. Um, but we just, you know, if we just, I mean, they're not commonly out there. They're not in crystal shops by and large. We don't have to really worry about them but we don't want to i wouldn't recommend seeking them out okay um in your book you you talk a lot and you talked a lot on your show today about you know subtle energies and how uh these energies can affect our body in your book you talk about using various stone on formations or even um layouts to help us talk to us more about that yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, one of the I do two whole chapters in the book about stone mandalas and and what what the energy of the mandala is. Um, you know, it's I could say a lot about that too. You know, Carl. Oh, go Jung, ahead. The, yeah, sure, please. Carl Jung, the great psychologist, um, used mandalas right at the center of his psychoanalytic work and his you know way of learning to understand the psyche um, because he noticed that. Um, his patients would spontaneously draw mandala forms or they would see them in their dreams. And mandala, it, most people know this, but the word means circle. And then the mandalas that we see from like the Tibetan tankas and uh, the, the Native American medicine wheel and a number of other patterns from other cultures are in general circular or square shaped symmetrical forms uh-huh. Jung said these symmetrical forms symbolize the wholeness of the self and the contemplation of a harmonious, beautiful mandala would encourage the formation of the wholeness of the self. So I take that a step further in working with stones and I say, you know, let's create crystal grids and templates and layouts on our bodies and around our bodies that are in the form of mandalas because that's the form of natural harmony. And the stones will then not only be harmonious looking, but their energies will blend in a harmonious way that resonates with the mandala pattern we make. So in my book, I show a lot of uh, pictures of mandalas in art from many cultures. Things like stained glass windows in churches, for example, are some of the most beautiful and largest mandalas that we see that people have done in art. But, you know, the body and and the uh, nature creates mandalas, too. The symmetry of an emerald crystal is a kind of mandala. Um, And so it's just evidence that this that the mandala is one of the uh, keys that nature gives us in terms of resonating in harmony. And so if we do it purposefully by laying out stones and making something that's a harmonious pattern that's circular or square or in other ways, a symmetry, 
we get a symmetry of energies too, and that benefits us over and above just what the individual stones would do. Okay, and um, what about, um, oh God, they're in the book, um, body mats. You have portable body mats. Tell us about those and how it works. Right, I mean, the body mat is a great invention, you might say, um, that, uh, that has been done where, again, it's incorporating stones in combinations with one another. So in a way, this is part of the co-creating. When we make a mandala, like I was just talking about a stone layout or a grid or a template, we're, we're getting involved in creating the energy that we're going to experience. It isn't just, I hold this stone. It's like, I'm creating something to combine these stones. So I'm being a sort of artist or composer working with the stones and their energies. Well, the same is true when we do a body layout on ourselves or someone else, we'll put different stones on different chakras. And mm -hmm. the idea is for those energies to harmoniously resonate and blend with ourselves and, and bring ourselves to a better condition in our, in our energy body. So, you know, that's a body layout on top of us. The body mats are basically a body layout underneath us. You mm -hmm. know, the body mats are like a, a foam mats that have uh, pockets in them uh, where um, stones are uh, embedded in resin in these pockets and they're set up in harmonious patterns to uh, balance your chakras, balance your energy body and facilitate self-healing. And so I like them very much because it's just ready-made. You can lie down on it and that energy of harmony is already there and humming along and then you can just fit right into it. And of course, you can go further. And I always like to go further. That's my nature. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and you can do a body layout on your chakras on top while lying down on one of these stone body mats. Um, and that, you know, then you get the benefit top and bottom and it really resonates right through you. Um, so that's one of the tools. I, mm -hmm. I have a whole bunch of what I call crystal alchemy tools or stone alchemy tools that I write about in that section of the book and uh, including elixirs and things like that too. And all of these are meant to enrich the harmony of our connection with the stones. And again, through the stones with the soul of the world. That's why mm -hmm. Sophia is at the core of alchemy and at the core of my own work. Okay. Um, well, you read my mind because you mentioned right where I was going next and that's about elixirs and organite and crystal um, energy tools. So how and why do elixirs work? Um, you know, that's a, I love that question because it brings us right up to the question about water. You know, water mm -hmm. is what, is what our bodies are mostly made of. I think we're about 70% water and the water that is in us um, is arranged in, in, in what I call liquid crystal patterns. And that's been discovered scientifically that it isn't just random molecules of water going around through our body. The, the water lines up in different patterns of coherence to help our body function. And so water, in a sense, is kind of the bridge between the uh, subtle body or the light body and the physical body, because mm -hmm. water is very sensitive substance. And for example, if you put a piece of uh, citrine in a glass of water, and you stir it around and you let it sit, maybe you put it in the sun um, and you take the citrine out, 
the energy of the citrine will have um, left a pattern in the water that the water mm -hmm. remembers. The water will carry citrine's energy pattern and remember it. And if you drink that water or if you put it on your body, um, then that pattern goes into the water in you and the, you know it spreads all through. So the idea of elixirs, which is something the ancient alchemists used too a lot, they, they were always working towards finding, trying to find the elixir of life. Um, the making of stone elixirs is a carrying on of that alchemical um, activity. And also it's a way of basically taking the stone energies into the interior of your physical self and, you know, that effect goes into your subtle body as well, because all these things are completely entwined and knit into each other. Uh, it's why it's difficult to talk about any one of them without going into a whole long uh, exposition, because mm -hmm. everything is so connected. Mm -hmm. So but in, anyway, in yeah. theory, we could heal ourselves if we knew which gemstones would work with whatever we're dealing with. I mean, that, that's in a sense at the very basis of the interest in crystals and stones that people have had mm -hmm. in such a strong way for the last 35 or 40 years. Um, and, you know, the thing is, it's not automatic. That's what I would say. It's not as though you can take these stone energies as if they were vitamins, even though I used that analogy before, mm -hmm. and they will do the work for us and we don't have to think about it. Uh, it's it's the path of transformation that we're being invited into in it means that we need to be involved in it consciously as well as bringing in these energies and allowing them to work in us so that's why it's co-creation so yes you invite the stone energy in whether it's in an elixir or you meditate with it in your hand or on your body you invite mm -hmm. Uh, the combination of stones that you've chosen or that have chosen you, all of that's true. But then also the part we need to do is resonate with it. And that's a conscious practice. That's the reason that meditation with stones is so important in the alchemy of stones. You need to attune yourself and get yourself your own center of consciousness at the place where this resonance happens. Then is when I believe the real benefits, whether it be physical healing or emotional healing or spiritual awakening, happen. Sometimes they can just happen to us through grace. But if we really want to make it uh, a part of our life by choice, then we need to do that participation. Mm -hmm. um, you're so captivating until I forget to... <laughs> ask my next question or look for my next question. But folks, I want to point out that um, his book, The Alchemy of Stones, co-creating with crystals, minerals, and gemstones for healing and transformation. It's a big book. Okay. It's one of those coffee table books that you can just put on the coffee table and pick up and, you know, read from time to time. It's, it's just under 500 pages, full color. In fact, he has a stone dictionary in the back of the book. It's 65 pages long. He has uh, a picture, beautiful photograph of each and every stone that he talks about, and an explanation on how, how, when, where, how, why you would use that stone. It's absolutely gorgeous. He also has throughout the books, and again, everything is in color, um, he shows uh, people in a stone healing ceremony. He um, 
show stones like I just opened a page right now and, and I guess it's chapter 13 actually and it says forgiveness and the different stones that are there for forgiveness so hmm I must need to forgive somebody if that's what popped up for me because I always pay attention to that and then he also gives you history so there's a lot to be unearthed if you will and by unearthing you're healing so if you're looking to be the greatest psychic or the you know greatest metaphysician whatever if that's your thing fine um but you can utilize the stones to help you because they will work now robert when we go to your um website heavenandearthjewelry.com what are we going to find there um on the website you'll find first of all all my books um and also there are thousands of different stones and uh, jewelry items that um, that we offer and in, in with the jewelry, we produce it actually too. Um, so, but it's all about the most beneficial stones with the highest energies. Um, heaven and earth has always been just like I have been talking about the stones with the highest vibes as the ones that mm -hmm. most attract me. Mm -hmm. Heaven and earth always focused on those. Um, but we love the whole mineral kingdom. So, um, I've always believed that anything worth doing is worth overdoing. So we, <laughs> have, we have thousands of things on the website. Okay, cool. So folks, check it out. And if you've enjoyed, you know, our interview today, um, and you feel um, the calmness and the peace that Robert exudes, um, definitely check it out because this is something a bit different. Okay. And um, his book um, ranks right up there, in my opinion, with Mel Melody's book that she wrote many years ago. I understand that she's no longer physically on earth with us, but you know what? Her work goes on and um, Robert's book is right there with hers. So Robert, our time has gone so fast. I truly appreciate everything that you've shared. Could you leave a pearl of wisdom with our audience today? Well, sure. Um, I mean, the key to all of this, when in alchemy, there were three great transformations that people sought, and they called them conjunctions. In the first conjunction, your inner self and your outer self join. In the second conjunction, your inner self and your outer self join permanently. And that creates a new being, the whole self. Uh, in the third conjunction, your whole self that's been formed through your earlier work is able to become a full partner with the divine. Mm -hmm. And I think that that alchemical aspiration is always uh, at its core is love. It's the love that we intuitively feel towards the earth and towards all beings. And it's the love that the earth and the universe showers us with every moment. So if we can be more aware of that, and let that be the place from which we act, uh, our alchemy is well on its way. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Robert, thank you so much for being with me today. I greatly appreciate it. I know the audience does. Will you please come back again? I would love to. Okay, great. I'm going to hold you to that. And to the audience, thank you for listening in. And, um, you know, if you are interested in stones at all, and there's, you know, like one book you're going to get on the subject, make it The Alchemy of Stones by Robert Simmons. You will not be disappointed. Not at all. And for everyone, please remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of discovering the alchemy of stones. Abundant blessings, light, and love to all. Agape.